Let's pray. Father, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we get to this post-pandemic or pre-post-pandemic, however you'd like to name it, era, um, offices are starting to do something different. There's a There's a discussion happening about whether people should go back to work or not. What do we do with these office spaces? Um, And then there was the uh, anti-work movement where people said, you want me to go back to the office? I quit. And then there's the recession, which says, well, too bad, we're going to fire you anyway. Right? And so um, very, very recently, uh, this is what an article said. Everyone at Tesla is required to spend a minimum of 40 hours in the office per week. Musk clarified in a follow-up memo outlining his decision to make Tesla Incorporated employees get back to the office or start packing. He added, if you don't show up, we will assume you have resigned. What that article says about Elon Musk is not unique. There's an ongoing battle between employees that want to work from home and employers that depend, that demand that they work from the office. Here's another article. It says, forcing in-person work is also seen as a quick way to alienate young workers. These employees value work-life balance more than past generations and dislike hierarchical workplaces. The ones without children or heavy financial responsibilities may just quit instead of returning to the office. This battle between employee and employer is not foreign to those of us who were teenagers, right? What we see is a swing of power between employee and employer in the great resignation and then the recession, each claiming that they have the upper hand that the others should give up in the struggle, very similar to teenagers and parents. Why do we have issues with authority and subordination? Why do employers demand to make the lives of employees harder? Why do employees refuse to give in to the demands of those that send them their paychecks every two weeks? Why do teenagers push back against authority structures at home? Why do parents frustrate teenagers with, I told you so, and that's why you need to do it? The constant struggle between power structures in our society is not foreign to any of us, and yet it keeps repeating generation after generation. So the question is, how do God's people navigate what seems to be the natural course of human life? Do we embrace the struggle and join it? Or does Scripture give us a different way of life under God's rule and God's authority? And today's sermon is about care and obedience. And that's how we're going to look at the answer to the question. We're going to turn to Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 9 as we continue through our series in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. We have two simple points today. We're going to consider the responsibility, and then we're going to consider the reward. Responsibilities of the people in the passage, and the promised reward for obeying God's word in the manner that he prescribes for one goal and one purpose that the Holy Spirit's rule and authority will be displayed in the church, that the church will be filled with the Spirit of God. 
As we get closer to the end of Paul's letter, it would be good to get a recap so that we find ourselves in the, uh, find our place in the message of the book. God the Father is blessed and to be praised and glorified because everything that has happened in the past, all that is happening and all that will happen is playing out the Father's grand plan. All other plans, every movement of every molecule, every atom and amoeba, everything seen and unseen, whether it's the largest thing in the universe, that's the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall, or the smallest known thing in the universe, a quark, both of these exist and fulfill one plan alone. Christ's rule over the whole universe. All things in heaven and on earth will be under Christ's complete control. Whether spiritual beings, human beings, plants, animals, microscopic creatures, every chemical, every compound, every clover leaf, and every coconut tree. Everything is being put under the rule of Christ, and God has determined that the glory of Christ will be displayed in the world through the church. Christ is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. And because of this, the church is filled with the rule the glory and authority of Christ. The church is filled with the fullness of Christ. The way the Father shines Christ's glory through the church is by taking spiritually dead humans and uniting us with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. He makes us right with God by making Christ's death our death and Christ's resurrection our resurrection. And since the church is united with Christ, We are seated with him so that we can be displayed, so that we can be shown off as objects of his grace and mercy as we do the good works that he has prepared for us. The principalities and powers and rulers and authorities have been given their notice of vacancy. Your time is up. Look at these people that were under your domain. Look at these people who followed your leading. They used to do what they wanted to do, what satisfied their flesh and mind. They fought with each other, dominated each other, exploited each other. They one-upped each other for their glory and their name and their self-righteousness. But now, under Christ, now in Christ, they have peace with one another. Because he makes them together into one humanity, one new humanity that has access to God. They were strangers to one another and to God, but are now being fit together into God's temple. They were foreigners and enemies with one another and with God, but now they are family members of God's own family and home. Principalities and powers, they followed the prince of the power of the air, but now their lives, look at them, Their lives are conformed into the image of Christ so that the Father's glory too shines in the church. These people were dead in sins, but now they can see and comprehend the incomprehensible love of God as the church is filled with the rule, glory, and authority of God the Father, the fullness of God. They used to walk in the futility of their minds, darkened in understanding and ignorance when they were under your domain. But look at them. 
Look at them. Christ has captured them and given some of them as gifts so that they equip one another to good works and the work of the ministry. They speak the truth in love and strive for unity. Look at them. They used to practice every kind of sensuality and impurity, but now they have the true righteousness and holiness of God. That man that used to steal when you used to control him, he now works hard and provides for others in need now that he is controlled by Christ. Those people that had a sailor's mouth, oh, now they speak what gives grace to those who hear them, building them up, speaking only the truth of the good news of God. That lady there that was always bitter and angry and used to gossip, look at her. She's now kind and tender-hearted, forgiving others because she has been forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. Principalities and powers, rulers and authorities, these people now walk in the light. They expose your darkness so that more of them can awaken from their sleep when the light of Christ shines on them. You've lost. Listen to them. They worship God, the only one worthy to be worshipped. The prince of the power of the air does not get glory any longer from them. The Father's people speak to each other in psalms and hymns that speak of God's glories. His people sing to the Lord and make melody to him, not just with their mouth, but with their hearts, their whole inner beings. These people shine the glory, authority, and rule of the Spirit, not only in their gatherings, but look at these husbands and wives, husbands sacrificing their own desires priorities and lives to honor and love their wives, wives putting all their priorities, desires, and plans under the authority of their husbands in submission so that they can reflect the beauty of Christ and his bride, the church. One sacrificing himself in love to present a holy, blameless, faultless bride who moves into God's holiness. The other submitting to the leading of her bridegroom in reverence so that Christ is Lord over all things. In Ephesians, Paul explains that submission in the church finds its effect in all household relationships. The husband and wife, parents and children, and even masters and slaves. These are not arbitrary choices, but completely consistent with scriptures, the revelation of God. These three relationships are used by the Lord in scriptures to describe his relationship with his people. A husband and his wife, a father and his son, a Lord and his slave. Without Christ, we see that these relationships lead to exploitation and abuse. But under the authority and rule of Christ, we see holiness, love, care, respect, and most of all, the goodness of God demonstrated and displayed in the church. Now, having considered the relationship between a husband and a wife two weeks ago, we will now consider the other household relationships today. Paul describes the local church at Ephesus in terms of families that come together to praise God and attend to his word preached. So he exhorts each of the family members in a unique way in the ways that they can contribute toward the glory of God the Holy Spirit filling the church and his rule and authority demonstrated in the lives of each person. 
let's consider our, our first point, the responsibility. In verses 1 to 9, children and slaves are commanded to be submissive in obedience to those that are over them. Parents in the first case and masters in the second. Let's consider each and the nature of their obedience. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. As Paul moves on from talking about husbands and wives, he addresses the children. Notice, he doesn't say, Parents, ensure that you have obedient children and a house that is in order. Just as he addresses the wives directly when commanding them to submit, and just as he addressed the husbands directly in commanding them to love self-sacrificially, he commands the children directly. The apostolic witness, the word of God, scriptures, is not just for adults. The imperatives, the commands of scripture, aren't just for those that are qualified to get a driver's license or vote. Paul expects the entire family to be present when the church worships together and when the word of God is preached. In fact, he expects the children to be attentive as they are addressed. If God's grand plan has implications for amoeba or little quarks, the littlest in their categories, God's grand plan has implications even for the littlest in our families and churches. Therefore, we make a conscious effort here at Westmont Bible Chapel to have at least our seven-year-olds and above present to observe the church worship, remember the Lord at the table, and listen to God's word as it is preached. It's by design that a 7- to 12-year-old's class runs in parallel with our adult Sunday school class because our children need to hear God's word preached to the community. They need to see that there are implications of God's rule and authority over every person, including themselves. Over the last year, we've been in the book of Exodus, and around chapter 20, we come across the 10 words or the 10 commandments on stone tablets. Paul points back to the fifth of the ten and indicates to the children in the Ephesian church that across time, God's order for relationships has not changed. God wanted these children to obey their parents as he has always demanded from children who are members of God's family. Now, this isn't a one-off obedience. Yeah, I obeyed my parents last night before going to bed. To my young brothers and sisters here, God doesn't demand a one-off obedience. He demands a continuous obedience to your parents. God considers being obedient to your parents as part of your obedience to Christ. It is part of your walk and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. To obey your parents in the Lord, it means that you obey your parents in absolutely everything, as though you are obeying the Lord himself. To disobey your parents, therefore, is to disobey the Lord. This is not because your parents are God. 
It's not because your parents are sinless. It's not because your parents are perfect. This is because God desires something for you. He wants you to reflect exactly what he desires from all his people. That just as a child obeys their parents in everything, God's people would obey him in everything. And you have the unique opportunity that nobody has to display to the world and to the church what obedience to the Lord looks like. When you submit to your parents in obedience, you're actually teaching other people how to obey God the Father and submit to him. Not only that, there are many of you who are not young ones. And you might imagine when you think of Children, you think of little ones. However, the command to honor your father and mother is not limited to children who are at home. No, in fact, honoring your father and mother looks a little different as you get older. But it models your attitude towards the things of the Lord and the community of his people. One of the tragedies, and our brother Jason reflected on this, is that believers have disregarded the needs of their parents. And this is exactly the thing that Jesus calls out the Pharisees for in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, saying that the things that they do for God is a good enough representative replacement for honoring their father and mother. Children who obey and dishonor their parents have only one outcome in Scripture. When you read Numbers, when you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's not a loss of blessing. It's execution. Moses tells the people repeatedly that a disobedient son should be killed. Paul doesn't say the same here, however, so you can relax. In linking his command back to the Mosaic text... He lays the weight of the seriousness of this charge, however. This is, in fact, a high-stakes command. Obedience leads to blessing, and disobedience deserves the the death penalty. This is a serious command with serious blessing and detrimental effects when disobeyed. We see that it isn't just children who have to obey. Let's read verses 5, 6, and 7. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Yet again, we see that Paul isn't addressing the masters here. He isn't saying, masters, rule over your slaves in this manner. But he's speaking directly to the slaves. Slaves, this is how you ought to live. You need to live in obedience to your masters as though you are living in obedience to the Lord. There are different Greek words that could have been used for the word master. In the pastoral epistles, Paul uses the word despotes to denote master. 
But over here, he uses a specific word. He uses the word kurios. The word kurios is translated Lord, and it's commonly used in the Greek translation of the Lord's name, Yahweh. So Yahweh in Hebrew in the Old Testament is translated kurios in Greek. When Paul commands them to obey their earthly kurios, he was using wordplay to indicate that they were ultimately obedient to the kurios, to the Lord of the entire cosmos, the Lord Jesus Christ. One way in which they serve the Lord of the universe is to serve their earthly Lord. This service isn't just lip service or a service of works. The Word of God also commanded an attitude of service. They were to serve their earthly master with fear and trembling. So now he's in telling the slaves to fear a human being. He's in telling the slaves to tremble in the presence of their masters. What Paul is telling these believers is that their attitude of service toward their human masters ought to be that they are serving their human masters in the very presence of God himself. The holy God in whose presence every human fears and trembles the one that will judge all humans on the last day, the fear and trembling of every believer as they served their earthly master was one that came from an awareness that their service was in the presence of the holy God himself. That is the kind of attitude that God, and therefore Paul, demanded from these Christian slaves, a fear that produced loyalty, a fear that produced integrity, a fear that had a sincere or singleness of heart so that they didn't just aim to please their earthly master who could only see the outward appearance with their physical eyes, but they worked so that they could aim to please their heavenly master who can see the thoughts and intents of their hearts, the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Psalm 139 verse 2 to 4 says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The believer who was a slave in the Ephesian church was completely in control of his inner attitude towards his work. Note the phrases in verse 5. As you would to Christ. In verse 6. Not as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. In verse 7. As to the Lord and not to man. The believer was completely in control of their inner attitude, And God is interested not just in their obedience to their earthly master, but in how they obeyed their master and their heavenly master and the sincerity with which they did so. This is because in serving their earthly master with the right attitude, they served their heavenly master with the right attitude. This kind of master-slave relationship that Paul is referring to doesn't exist in 2022 Peterborough, or even Ontario. 
The closest we could probably have as a parallel today is the relationship between an employer and an employee. While it isn't the same, there's still a relationship of serving a superior as an employee. Both kinds of people, employees and children, are to submit to higher authorities as though they are serving the Lord. And in doing so, we're, we are uniquely contributing towards the filling of the Spirit in our local church. In our submission, the authority and rule and glory of the Holy Spirit is displayed in each of us who submit to our parents and employers as though we are submitting to Christ. What about the role of those who are in authority? What did Paul have to say to the parents and masters in the Ephesian church? Let's read verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Every group in these relationships have obligations to the other because they have to reflect the reality of God and his people. If children are commanded to obey their parents, the fathers have obligations towards their children, just as God relates with his children. If the father is patient and merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, that's God the Father, then we as human fathers cannot have attitudes or works or actions that provoke our children to anger. Father, we need to, fathers, we need to exercise sensitivity and care in how we interact with our children. My wife often gives me feedback regarding how I deal with our daughters, Zoe and Liv. And as often as I get frustrated with their inability to just follow basic instructions or obey us, we just, we just told you not to do that. I also must realize that the goal of our discipline isn't to incite anger or crush their spirits, but to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. If you recall a husband nourishing his wife, that's a similar idea that is brought out here when it says fathers need to bring up their children. Just as a husband cares for his wife so that he can present her as holy, in the same way, he needs to care for his children so that they mature spiritually. Children are to be brought up in the instruction of the Lord, and that is none else than the Word of God. So fathers, our responsibility toward our children is that we need to provide them with discipline and nourishment in God's Word. And this discipline and nourishment should not frustrate, provoke, or crush our children but rather help support them to do what honors God. Fathers, it is our responsibility to teach our children God's word so that when they obey their parents, they're obeying God himself. Let me repeat that. Fathers, it is our responsibility to teach our children God's word so that when they obey their parents, they are obeying the Lord himself. To train them in the instruction of the Lord is to help them to submit to the Lordship of Christ through his word. So as they submit to you, they're submitting to people 
who have submitted to the Lord himself. When we train them in the instruction of the Lord, we are training them to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Because as they submit to us, and we have submitted to the Lord, they are submitting to the Lord himself. That is a serious responsibility on us fathers. Verse 1 says that obeying their parents in the Lord is right. It is exactly how these children have to exercise the righteousness of God. And we fathers are God's agents, bringing these young ones under his rule with care and sensitivity to their needs. Now, this is a supernatural task, one that requires that we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the patience and endurance and words to train and instruct our children according to the word of the Lord. So what's our priority for prayer and God's word in our homes, fathers? When we discipline our children, do we instruct them on how they disobeyed God? Or do they just feel like they've annoyed us or made us angry? Do they take time to engage? Do we take time to engage with each of our children, whether a young one or adult, to help them take their next steps in obedience to the Lord? We see the responsibilities of fathers. What about that of the master? Let's read verse 9. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Masters, do the same to them. What does the same mean? It means that God is interested with the attitude behind the actions of the masters as well. Masters were to treat their slaves with respect, having attitudes of sincerity towards their slaves. God didn't expect masters to obey their slaves. No, because that's going to flip the metaphor on its head, right? God doesn't obey his people. No. God wanted masters, however, to realize that they too were slaves of another master. And so he says, stop threatening your slaves because you know that both of you have a common master in heaven. Masters ought to realize that their slaves weren't just serving them. Their slaves were serving God. And since they served the same master, they couldn't threaten their slaves to get work done anymore. In Paul's day, masters would threaten slaves by beating them, maybe breaking a leg, assaulting them. They would even threaten to sell them so that they would be separated from their own families forever. Paul wanted masters to employ methods that were very different from unbelieving masters. The kind of threats that they employed and the way they dealt with their slaves, especially the believing ones, couldn't look like how the world did things. If masters didn't employ threats like the world did, and if masters respected their slaves, unlike how the world did, the very system of slavery and its mechanisms were subtly undone in these commands. Do you see that? A Christian master and a Christian slave would deal with each other with respect and care. One submitting as to the Lord 
and the other respecting because he serves the same Lord. When those of us who are leaders within our corporations and business owners who have employees reporting to us deal with our employees with the care and respect that Paul has commanded masters in Ephesus, we demonstrate the care and authority of Christ in this world. When we as employees submit to our employers and work as unto the Lord, we demonstrate the rule and authority of Christ over us in all spheres of life. Failure to be fathers or children, failures to be employers or employees that do what we are supposed to do, is a failure to demonstrate the rule and authority of the Holy Spirit in the church. So just as speaking to each other in psalms and hymns, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks to God are means by which the Spirit fills the church, even so, the right obedience from children and employees and the right care from fathers and employers are how the Spirit's rule and authority and glory are seen through the church. We considered the responsibility of the various groups. Now let's move on to our next point, the reward. The two groups are not only commanded to imitate God and his people, but they're also promised rewards for obeying his commands and reflecting this relationship correctly. Ephesians 6 and verse 3. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Many have read this and wondered how it would be fulfilled. How does honoring one's parents cause your life to be prolonged? That too, in the land or on the earth, as some of your translations may say. The solution is simple when we look at scriptures holistically. Whether in the Old Testament, New Testament, or in 2022, God's word and promise still holds true. This still holds true because God has commanded parents, mom and dad, to teach their children God's laws. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 to 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So in fact, when children obey God's word and trust his word, they have faith in what he says about himself and his son, Jesus Christ. Children, when you trust God, you will obey him. When you trust God to be true and accept his authority over you, you will enjoy eternal life. We often think of eternal life as an angel-winged version of ourselves entering the pearly gates. We'd be handed a harp and a cloud or maybe a mansion in the sky and we'll pretty much float around like that forever. That image can't be farther from the truth. Scripture says that those that have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, we don't have a hope of floating in the clouds. We share the hope of the resurrection. We share the hope of life on earth with King Jesus ruling from a throne set on earth. Living long on the, land, on the earth or in the land is the promise of the resurrection. And when we honor God's word taught to us by our parents, God promises us 
eternal life because we have trusted in his word to be true. God isn't promising us a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Want to live long? Take care of your parents. Want that promotion and want to do well? Give the old man a call and listen to him. What he is promising is what he has always promised to his people. Those that submit to Christ's lordship, rightly taught in the home, will experience the blessing that comes in the resurrection life. To take care of your father and mother, therefore, is the right response towards those who have brought you up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, because it shows that you have rightly responded to the Lord with honor. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Just as the reward of honoring your father and mother is rooted in the resurrection, the reward of slaves submitting to their master is also related to the final judgment. We obey today, we submit today, we live under the authority of Christ today because there is a last day of reward that is coming. What does that mean? It means that slaves no longer need to work to catch their master's attention because their heavenly master already sees them. It means that work done well, but that may have gone unnoticed, will not go unrewarded. We often forget that the final judgment is associated with works as well. Romans 2 verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. Slaves and freemen and masters will stand before Christ in the judgment and also receive the reward for their works. There will be no bias or partiality from the heavenly Lord, and ultimately the differences between master and slave would be immaterial in the judgment. If slaves obey their masters as though they are obeying Christ, Christ will reward them accordingly. If employees work as though they are working for the Lord, their work will be rewarded accordingly. I don't have to ask much when we ask the question, how do we apply this text? What is important is the attitude and motivation with which submission and obedience is carried out in the church and in the family. What is apparent is that Jesus is Lord over the church, and this has implications for everyone's lives. Children, you need to obey your parents. Fathers, you need to raise, raise your children in the fear of the Lord without frustrating them. Slaves are to obey their masters. Masters are to respect their slaves because masters are also slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We started out with the question about the struggles in society at the workplace and in the family. And in order to navigate the struggles of a society today, and not get caught up in what might seem normal in the struggle between employers and employees, in the struggle between parents and children, the primary question is, is Jesus your Lord? If Jesus is Lord, children, you absolutely need to obey your parents in everything as to the Lord. And those that are older you need to take care of your parents and honor them. 
If Jesus is Lord, fathers, our absolute priority for our children is the tender care with which we raise them in the instruction of the Lord. Our children need to be saved and be instructed in God's word. Nothing else is more important than that. We can no longer run our homes under because I said so, but we have to run it under because God said so. If Jesus is Lord, employees, we need to work as though God is our employer. Our attitudes are of utmost importance, and God will reward us accordingly. We must treat our managers with respect. We must perform to impress God. Our work must serve God and not the other way around. Nothing at work can be done contrary to the Lordship of Christ. If Jesus is Lord, employers, we need to treat our employees with respect, knowing that God is our Lord and Master, and that He will judge us without partiality. We cannot threaten our employees, even though we can hold them accountable and affirm what is right while giving feedback on what needs to be done differently. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we care and obey in the manner God has prescribed, we will contribute as children, as parents, employees, and employers towards the glory, authority, and rule of the Holy Spirit filling our church here at Westmount Bible Chapel. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity, this opportunity to hear from your word at how your authority penetrates every aspect of our life. Lord, how it transforms every aspect of our life. Not because we have come up with great ideas on how to obey you, but because your word informs us that we need to be different. So Lord, as children, Help us be obedient to your word taught to us by our parents. As children that are older, help us, Lord, to honor our father and mother because we honor you. Help us, Lord, as employees to work and to have our recognition from our heavenly kurios, our heavenly master, knowing that our reward is not in that raise or in that promotion, or in that award, but it is standing before our master who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, help us as employers to treat our people well, to love them as image bearers, to seek out their good, to treat them with respect, knowing that we report to you. And Lord, may we understand that we are not lords, you are. And in submission to you, in obedience to you, love and respect those that report to us. So as your people, Lord, whether husbands or wives, children or parents, employers or employees, may your spirit, his rule, his authority, his work be demonstrated in Westbound Bible Chapel as the fullness of the Father and the fullness of the Son is displayed through us. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's precious name, amen. amen.